whatever it is that we're going through in life, God, I pray that you would provide that as well. I love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, get your Bibles out. We're continuing our study in the book of Joshua. Last week we saw Joshua chapter 3. And in Joshua 3, we saw how Israel crossed the Jordan River finally. They've been building to it for 40 years, and they finally got there. They crossed, and they did it. Uh, We had a three-step process for how to cross the Jordan in Joshua 3, and it was sanctify yourself. Sanctify just means to prepare, to set apart. Joshua says sanctify yourself. Prepare yourself for what God is going to do. Number two is hear God's word. You got to hear what God wants you to do. How do you know what to do if you don't hear what God tells you? to get ready for what he has for you. And then number three was just simply, after you've prepared yourself and heard what God has to say, follow him across, follow him across. We saw that the Ark of the Covenant went before Israel into the middle of the river, and that's what stopped the Jordan River, right? It it, it stopped the waters off so that they could walk across on dry land like the Red Sea in a similar fashion. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant was God's presence for Israel, right? It's, It's where God met man back then in those times and they carried this the presence of God the ark of the covenant before them and we saw that Jesus goes on before you no matter what you do and if you'll simply just follow him across and trust him and have faith in him then he'll lead you and that's all a part of this study Joshua going where God leads that's our tagline for the series and that that's really in each chapter we have different themes but the overarching theme of the whole book is going where God leads it requires faith it requires uh, obedience, it requires growing and stretching on our part. Um, but if we simply follow his word and hear him and do what he says, it's, it's good for us. It's, it's not settling for less than God's best, right, like we saw a couple weeks ago. Um, we saw last week that the priests, what they did is they, as soon as their feet, uh, when they were holding the Ark of the Covenant, which is just a gold box with gold sticks through it so, that, so they could carry it, um, when they touched the, the brim of the water, the Bible says in Joshua 3, that the waters receded, and they walked to the middle, and they stood in the middle. As long as God's presence was in the middle of the river, the water stayed on one side, and all of Israel crossed over on dry ground. And then they stayed in the middle until everyone was passed over. And we see that in Joshua 4. Joshua 4 is written in a very um, interesting manner. It's not chronological verse 1 through the last verse. Um, So I'm going to give you verse 10 and 11 first that summarizes what happened in Joshua 3 as a way of introduction. Verses 10 and 11 of Joshua 4 says, For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua and the people hasted and passed over. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over that the ark of the Lord passed over and the priests in the presence of the people. So that's the summary. That's what happened. The priests stayed there. Joshua said a bunch of stuff, and we're going to see some of the stuff that Joshua has to say to the people. And then as soon as everyone went over, the priests went over with the ark, and then Jordan went back to where it was. Okay, So that's what we see in uh, in Joshua 3. And going into Joshua 4, what we're going to see tonight is something that God tells Joshua to do that might seem a little strange. Um, Joshua 3 could have very easily ended and then went into, in, went into chapter 5 without saying this story. It, it, it's almost like chapter 4 is its own little aside. It's almost this parenthetical of like, oh yeah, by the way, this happened, and it's significant. But when you first read it, just, I can't think of the other words, so I'm going to say this. From perspicuity, what's the better word? For, uh, face value. When you read this at face value, you're like, what, what's happening in chapter 4, and why is this even in here? 
And it's a very significant story, and it's very, very important. We're going to see Josh, God tell Joshua to do something strange, and I want us to see that tonight. But before we do that, let me, let me ask you, if you're willing to raise your hand, has anyone ever sat maybe here on a Wednesday night or uh, at church on a Sunday or any, any church service ever? Maybe it was at summer camp, youth group, Sunday, whatever. And you felt like you were the only person in the room because the pastor was talking directly to you. Have you ever, I mean, I know I have. It, it's just like, man, I don't know what God's trying to teach me, but I'm, he's talking straight at me, man. It's, I mean, that's a thing that happens because it's either God's spirit convicting you <laughs> that you need to get right with him, or, or on the other hand, it's not always bad. It, it might be God comforting you or encouraging you through his word be, because of whatever circumstance you're going through. It could be either or. Well, you may not realize that pastors... When we write messages, it happens to us sometimes. <laughs> Good or bad, convicting or encouraging or comforting. That happens to us when we write a sermon. You feel like God is speaking directly to you. And in a sense, in a sense that he is because he's giving you the message that he wants you to speak to whoever you're preaching to. And I just want to say that, man, tonight what, what God has for us in Joshua 4, it's so personal to me and to my life that, not going to lie, it was, it was kind of emotional to write this, so I, I don't know if you know me, I'm not that emotional of a guy, or at least I'm not like in public, so excuse me if I'm a little more passionate tonight than I usually am, I don't, I don't know if that means anything, but that's what God's word can do for you, man, God can teach you something that he taught you years ago, and then you read through it again, and it just brings all those memories back to you, and what God has taught you, and tonight's message is, it's not incredibly deep. You know, we've done Bible studies in this room and on 9 a.m. That, that are really deep. And you learn a lot, a lot of stuff that you didn't know before. And it's just like, whoa, I didn't know that about God's word. Tonight's not incredibly deep, but it, it's incredibly personal. It's incredibly practical. And you can carry it with you the rest of your life. And, and it's, man, this, this, not this passage in, in general, but, but the theme overarching it is, has been a huge part of my life. And so what I want to show you tonight is something very simple, very practical, and it's just all about a pile of stones. It's all about a pile of stones, a pile of rocks. Um, so number one, we're, we're going to go back to Joshua 4 and verse 1 here. And, and your first blank, I mean, you'll even see the study sheet is very, very simple tonight. <laughs> it's nothing crazy, but man, God's got a lot for us. Your first blank is a strange proposal. A strange proposal. God has something very strange that he tells Joshua what to do before they're finished crossing the Jordan. Strange proposal. In verse 1, it says, It came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe of man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priests' feet stood firm, Twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. The first thing that God tells Joshua to do, as soon as Israel had crossed over, the priests are still there. They're still there. The water is still back. He says, as soon as Israel crosses the Jordan, go pick twelve guys, one from each tribe, and then tell them to go back into the middle of Jordan, grab 12 stones. These wouldn't have been like little stones. They would have been at like fairly decent size. That's why he says go pick 12 men. It would have been 12 men that could carry a decent sized stone. So it's not like he's like, hey, I got one. It's th these were decent sized stones. And you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place. So he says go grab those 12 stones and then just pile them up 
at your campsite where you're going to sleep tonight. That, that, that's kind of strange, isn't it? It's kind of weird. Why, why would God ask them to do that? Well, we'll get to that soon, the purpose and why God told them to do that. But quickly, I just want to show you something in Scripture. I want to show you stones throughout Scripture. It's, it's really interesting. I did this word study. And if you're in our 9 a.m. class, you would have saw the last couple weeks how to do word studies in the Bible. All it takes is get your handy-dandy phone out, search a word, and see where it comes up. And this, this is what we see about stones in the scripture. There's just something about stones. The law of God was written on stones. God wrote his law, the Ten Commandments, on stones. It was a stone from David's sling that sunk into the forehead of Goliath the giant and killed him from a, a lowly shepherd boy. First Kings 5 tells us that the foundation of the temple where God resided was made of stones. First Kings 18 tells us that Altars for sacrifice were made of stones. In Matthew 4, Satan tempts Jesus after he'd been fasting for 40 days and says, turn these stones into bread. Jesus refuses. In Luke 19, Jesus says that if men don't praise God, the stones will cry out in praise. In John 8, Jesus forgives a woman that was taken in adultery and says to the angry crowd who's holding stones wanting to stone her to death, and he says, He that is among you who is without sin cast the first stone. In John chapter 10, after Jesus claimed to be equal with God and said the phrase, I and my Father are one, this so hacked off the Jews that they each grabbed a stone and tried to stone him to death, but he escaped. Stones. Getting stoned was a different thing back in that day, by the way. (laughs) It's not something that you would want to happen to you. Could you imagine dying because everybody threw rocks at you until your brain was crushed? That's how people died back then. When Jesus was crucified, a large stone was set in the door of the tomb to try to hold him in. They couldn't, by the way. Jesus actually gave Peter his name in the Gospels. He says, in your Cephas, which is translated Peter, which means a stone. And Peter, later in his epistle, wrote that we Christians are all stones that make up the spiritual house of God. Something about stones, man, in the Bible. So many times, stones are used in Scripture and for so many different things. For the law, for judgment, for killing, but also for building, and for sacrifices, and for pictures. What purpose does God have for them here? Stones are used for so many different things in the Scriptures. Why does he want them to grab 12 stones and put them at their campsite where they're going to sleep? Well, to understand that, we need to understand the significance of where the stones came from. So number two is a significant place. A significant place. And if we look at verse three again, you'll notice that when he tells them to go get the stones, he says, command them saying, take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm. It's hard to say. The priest's feet stood firm. Twelve stones. So he tells them to go get them from this place. The significant place is out of the middle of the Jordan, where specifically the priest's feet were standing when they held the ark. So where did these stones come from? They came out of the middle of the Jordan River. So let me ask you, I'm trying to build this puzzle for you, so if you're still gathering the pieces, that's okay. I'm doing that on purpose. Would they have been able to get these stones if God hadn't stopped the waters of the Jordan? No, they wouldn't have. Um, at least not easily. Uh, the Jordan, I've read in several different places, uh, would have been at least 10 feet deep. 
Um, but then we read back in Joshua uh, 2 and 3 that at this point of the year that the, the Jordan River was overflowing its banks, so it was even deeper than that. Um, so without God, they would have drowned. They wouldn't have been able to get these stones. The only reason they can get these stones is because of what God did there. Notice, they got them out of the midst of Jordan, quote, where the priest's feet stood firm. What's significant about that? Well, would the feet of the priest been able to stand in the middle of Jordan if God hadn't stopped the waters? No, they wouldn't have. If God wouldn't have stopped the waters, they would be drowning. <laughs> or at the very least, they would have been walking on very soupy, muddy ground covered in water. They wouldn't have been able to stand there firm if God hadn't stopped the waters. What am I getting at? What, what, is, what, what are we trying to make a point here about? The significance of this place is that it's the place where God performed a miracle for Israel. It's a place where he did a miracle. It's where he showed himself real to them. He showed his presence to them literally in the ark. It's a place where if they had been there without God, their feet wouldn't have been able to cross the Jordan. And if they would have tried, it would have been covered in over 10 feet of water and they literally would have drowned without him. This place, the Jordan River, it's a place where God brought them through an obstacle, a, a physical barrier by faith and they came across it on dry ground miraculously. That wouldn't have happened without God. There's something very significant about this place to Israel. So I want to ask you, have you ever had anything like that in your life? Have you ever had a time or an event or a place where if God hadn't showed up, you would have drowned? Where without God parting the waters, you wouldn't have made it across? Have you ever had a time like that in your life? Maybe you're going through something like that right now. And maybe you don't know how you're going to make it across because life is just that hard right now. Or whatever you're going through has you so scared that you just don't know what you're going to do. Have you ever had that? Are you going through that right now? If you have or you are, God's got something for you tonight. Because those first two points are really just introduction for this last point, which is the bulk of what I want you to see tonight. God's got something for you tonight, and it's something as simple as a pile of stones. And number three, is those pile of stones, they have a symbolic purpose. They have a symbolic purpose. God has a specific purpose for these stones that they pulled from the Jordan River, and it's symbolic in nature. If we read the next couple of verses, we've stopped at verse three. Go ahead and look at verse four. It says, Then Joshua, he obeyed God, and he called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign, there's the word, among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of Jordan as the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged and laid them down there. The key words I want you to see there are sign and memorial. 
a sign and a memorial. That's what, that's what God is thinking. This is the, the specific purpose, the, the symbolic purpose that God has for this pile of stones. And obviously God picked 12 for this circumstance just because each one was representative of each of the 12 tribes that God had brought over Jordan. But these 12 stones taken from the bottom of Jordan where God had done this amazing, miraculous work were to be a symbol of what God had done. It was a reminder to those who experienced it. For those who had been a part of it, they would see those stones later on in their life and see those and be reminded of what God did. And also specifically, God said it would be a teaching lesson for future generations who didn't experience it. Experience it. And they say, what are those stones for? And you can, be, and, and you can just be like, hey, that, that's what God did for us back in the day. Let me tell you about it. God brought us across the Jordan just like the Red Sea that you've heard stories aboard, about. That's, that's what those stones are for. This isn't the only time in Scripture that a pile of stones is used for that purpose either. In Genesis 31, Jacob makes a covenant with his angry father-in-law Laban. Kind of a long story, but I just want you to see the stones here. Genesis 31, 44 says, now therefore come thou, let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. They made a pile. And they did eat there upon the heap. And Laban called it Yeger Sahudatha. I don't know. That's, that's what I think it says. But Jacob called it Galid, probably because it was easier to say. And Laban said, this heap is a, here it is, witness between me and thee this day. Therefore was the name of it called Galilee. The idea was this. The pile of stones was a witness of what had happened there. Jacob and Laban had made a covenant there. They didn't really like each other, and they, they, they made a covenant that they weren't going to come past it to each other. They, they made a pile of stones as a way of remembering. It, it was a witness. It was, in other words, a memorial or, or a reminder. In another place, 1 Samuel 7, when God miraculously conquered the Philistines, Israel's enemy, Samuel used a single stone rather than a pile of stones for a similar purpose. Verse 10 of 1 Samuel 7, it says that Samuel was offering up the burnt offering and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen. And called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. The name of that stone, he named it Ebenezer, just because it means exactly what it says there. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Ebenezer means stone of help. That's all it means. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. It was a reminder. It was a memorial of what God had done. So we see this pattern consistently set up. Obviously, we saw that stones are used for a whole mess of things, but God is doing something specific here. That was the purpose of these stones, to remind Israel of what God had done for them and to teach future generations of what God had done for them. And you might be thinking, okay, <laughs> that's cool. So what? Well, I don't really know how to give you a more practical explanation or application of this for you and for your own life other than to just give you my own experience just a, a little bit of my own story this isn't something I, I actually don't know that I've ever told this in Ignite maybe I have in passing but I don't know that I've ever said it in here I think I've said it on Sunday before um, ironically <laughs> I mean I, 
I didn't start writing this message till yesterday, so it's kind of weird. Ironically, this month, uh, February, marks five years for me um, since something very big happened in my life. Five years ago this month, I was diagnosed with something called Crohn's disease. And if you don't know what that is, um, it's, it's an autoimmune disease, and it's in the bowels. And basically what an autoimmune disease is is you have an issue with your immune system, and it, it attacks your body. It, it's like a, it thinks that you are a virus, and it just attacks you, and depending on what autoimmune disease you have, it fleshes out in different ways, but Crohn's is in the bowels or the intestines, and so you have a lot of issues with that. Um, I was 22 when I found out that I had that. I had been married to Brooke for just under a year. Uh, we hadn't even had our first anniversary yet, um, and that was the hardest year of my life, 2013. It was the hardest year of my life. I don't even say that for effect. It's I, it, it has been, to date, the hardest year of my life. Um, my faith was shaken. I'd never had something that big happen to me before. I mean, uh, for a 22-year-old, you don't ever imagine um, something that big happening. Um, if you still don't understand, like, so Crohn's disease, they don't know where it comes from. They don't know what causes it, and there's no cure. I'll just have it for the rest of my life. And you can take medicine to treat it, and you ho- hopefully it goes into remission. But it, it's not something that you just have and then they take out. You know, it's, it was a big deal. I was only 22 when, when you're your age and a little bit older. 22 is not that much older than you guys if you're 17 or 18. Uh, you feel invincible. You feel like, man, I'm, you, you, you really do. You don't think about it this way, but you feel like you could live forever. I mean, you don't have body aches, and you could go run two miles and play a game of Frisbee and just be sweaty afterward. Like, y- you feel young and alive and and to have something like that happen completely blindsided me it shook my faith and took my joy for sure um physically it took every dollar i had my bank account was drained i had been pretty prideful not even in a negative way i just took pride in the fact that i was 22 and married and was responsible with i didn't make a lot of money but we were responsible fiscally and we saved and had a decent bank account and we lost all of that um it was a rough year. It was a hard year, and, and I didn't know how it was going to happen, and um, went through a lot of trial and error trying to find a medicine that would work for me, and um, got pancreatitis. They, they, they just try all these things, and eventually I got just got so sick of going to the doctor and swallowing disgusting drinks and doing tests and all this stuff. It was just it was a hard year. It was a draining year, but, but God brought me through it. There were times that my focus shifted from him, of course, and, and I forgot about how good he was and how much he loved me because when you're going through a storm like that, it's sometimes you focus on the storm instead of Christ, but whenever I did that, he was there to lift me up and he would wrap his arms around me and, and just tell me to trust him. And you know, in my life, that year, is it's a pile of stones in my life. It doesn't look like much when you look at it. But when I turn around and I look back and I see that pile of stones, you know what I think? Hitherto hath the Lord helped me. That's what I think about. It was five years ago this month. And I think about what God has brought me through to get to this point. You know, it was out of a deep ocean in my life that those rocks came from. Like, like Israel, they took those rocks out of Jordan, a significant place. And the rocks and that pile of rocks in my life came from a deep ocean that I was sinking in. And without God, I, I would have drowned. But because of him in my life, my feet were on solid ground. Like, like it says about the priests in the Jordan, how their feet were on solid ground, and they shouldn't have been. 
but because of God, they were. Of course, my faith was weak all the time. And at times, I would start to sink like, like Peter in Matthew 14. If you go back and look about how he walked on the water in the storm, and he started to sink whenever he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the storm and the circumstances. And, and certainly, I would sink all the time as I started to look at the storm, but he was always there, just like Peter, immediately to pull me out and say, oh, you have little faith. Why, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? He was always Right there. So now I have this pile of stones in, the, in my life. I have this Ebenezer. What purpose does it serve for me practically? Well, when something hard happens in life, something unexpected happens, it's a reminder of how the Lord has always come through for me. It's a symbol. It's a memorial of his grace and his power and his faithfulness. Because I can, whatever happens, I can look back and see that pile of stones and remember what he did. And I haven't told a whole lot of people this yet either. I've only told like a small select group of people, but a couple months ago at the end of last year, I was at the dentist just getting a routine thing and got some x-rays in my mouth and he found something weird on my jaw. And long story short, I had to get CAT scan and stuff. And, and I, have a, I have a cyst growing in my jaw. And that's not a good thing. Um, it's a little scary, actually. Um, and so long story short, next, next week actually I have an appointment with the surgeon to see what we got to do. Um, but I'm not worried. You know why? Because I've got a pile of rocks back there that says that God is faithful. He's powerful. And he loves me. And yes, life is hard and the journey is hard, guys. It's filled with pain, it's filled with troubles, it's filled with enemies, it's filled with giants. It's filled with Jerichos. But God sets up these rocks along the way, these, these, these pile of rock moments for you that you can, come, you can either decide to come through with him or decide to just not go to. And if you go through with him and you set up your pile of rocks, when other things happen in life, you can look behind you and you'll see, after years and years of following God, you'll see piles and piles of rocks. And you'll come up to a new enemy or a new trial of your faith. And all you gotta do is look back and be like, hitherto hath the Lord helped me. And you just have this peace that Philippians 4 calls a peace that passes all understanding. And the reason it passes all understanding is because it doesn't make sense why you have the peace. The only reason you have the peace is because hitherto hath the Lord helped me. That's the purpose of these pile of stones. That's the first purpose of these pile of stones. What was the second? The second was to teach their children, the, the future generations. It was a reminder for them and it was a, a teaching lesson for their kids. And honestly, guys, that's why I tell you about this tonight. It's not just to, I mean, Brooke knows me, I don't, I don't really like to talk about that stuff. Just, I don't know. I, I don't like to just talk about that kind of stuff. I don't really know what to say. But, but here's the thing. I tell you that story so that you can see my pile of stones. And you can know about the stones so that you can set up your own stones in your life and trust God to see where he leads you. The last verse of this chapter is a great verse to end the night on. And here's the ultimate reason for the pile of stones that includes those two reasons. If you look at Joshua 4.24, the last verse, after all that stuff, it says that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. 
See, the stones aren't just for you. They are, that's a big point. You set those stones up so that you can look back and see them and just remember what God has done for you. But it's also for the world to see. They're a testimony of God's might and power. And that's why I share with you guys my pile of stones. So that, like, like God was telling Israel, so that they could tell their children. And I can tell you guys, listen, hitherto hath the Lord helped me. And maybe you're going through something and you don't know how to get through it. And, and, and maybe my showing you how God helped me through will help you through your thing. And you'll set up a pile of stones. And then someday you'll have someone younger than you or you'll have a friend who's going through something hard. And you know what you can do? You can empathize with them. And you can pray for them. And you can edify them and encourage them. Because you've got a pile of stones you can show them. It's not just for you. It's a testimony of God's might Joshua 4.24 says, and his power that you might fear the Lord your God forever. So let me ask you, what, what story is God writing in your life? What, what story is he writing? What has God brought you through? Everything you've been through has made you who you are today and everything that you will go through in the future, you know, except for the things that we cause because of our own stupidity, God will bring you through them to teach you and, and to make you who he wants you to be and to equip you for whatever he has planned for you. So as you're going through those hardships, will you set up piles of stones as you go to remind you of his faithfulness? Or will you just turn your back on God and be like, God, that's too hard. You must be mad at me. You must not be real. You must not be good. You must not be loving. Because it's your choice. You can either turn your back on God or you can set up a pile of stones to remember how he brought you through that thing. What story is God writing in your life? And let me ask you this, will you tell your story to others to show them his power and his goodness? You know, going through Bible college and even at this church, we teach you guys a lot of things about your faith. We call that apologetics. It's, it's just a fancy word for defending the faith and defending that God exists. You know the best defense of God? The best defense of Jesus? The only thing that nobody can argue is the testimony of a changed life. Like, listen, you can argue that you don't think God exists. You can argue everything from here to eternity, but my life was radically different. <laughs> and then Jesus came on the scene, and now I'm like this. That is the biggest testimony and defense of Christ that you have. That, that's your Ebenezer. Everybody's got at least one pile of stones, right? When God, well, if you're saved, when God came into your life and he saved you, You've got one pile of stones. Have you set up more? Will you set up more as God brings you through it? And will you show them to others? And, and when people ask, hey, what are those? What are those stones there? You can tell them, well, that's when God brought me through this tough situation. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about his goodness and his faithfulness and his power. Because without him, we can't cross the river. We can't do this thing. We can't do anything apart from him. But you know what? Someday, you'll be my age or you'll be older and you'll have kids, or you'll be helping in youth group, or you'll be teaching kids and over there. We have kids who just graduated a year or two ago, and they serve in the children's ministry. You know what? And they get to teach little kids about God. You know what they get to do? They get to tell them about how God has changed their life. And if you set up these stones, man, someday you're going to be real old, <laughs> and you're going to be able to tell your kids and other people's kids about all those piles of stones. You'll be able to look in the rearview mirror and see all these stones. I wish I could, like, paint a picture, have a picture on on the PowerPoint just to get you to see this image that I'm imagining, but I'm just imagining piles and piles and piles of stones 
that you can look back on, and every single one of those stones represents a time where you shouldn't have made it, but God saw you through. God saw you through. So will you set up those stones, and will you share them with others? Because I'm telling you, God's faithfulness is the only thing that's going to bring you through those hardships in life. Christ is the only thing that can do it. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. God, I come to you tonight and I thank you for the simplicity of your word. Certainly it's complicated and has many deep things, but Lord, the, the things that aren't so deep are just as life-changing as those that are. They're just as powerful and just as applicable to our everyday life. And You know, it's the uncomfortable things sometimes that we don't enjoy talking about, but those are the things that we want to know about. Those are the things that we all deal with behind the scenes, that people don't know about our struggles, our depressions, our feelings of emptiness or loneliness or whatever it is, our hurt that we've experienced from loved ones or, or whoever. Those are the baggage that we all carry. But God, you want to take those, those bags from us. You want to take that burden from us. And you want to use that to create a pile of stones that we leave behind us Israel didn't take those stones, they didn't carry those stones with them everywhere they went. That would have been too heavy, that would have been too much to bear. It was simply a reminder back there so that when they looked backward or if they ever came to that spot again, they'd see them and be like, oh yeah, I remember how you brought us through that. God, I pray if anyone's going through something right now that they just feel like they can't handle, I pray they'd give it to you, that they'd turn to you. If they don't know you, I pray they'd give their life to you and let you take on their sins, let you take on their burdens and their worries and their troubles. Let them be fulfilled in you. And God, if they are saved and they're just going through hard circumstances in life, I pray that they would just remember who you are, that you're a loving father, that you're a gracious savior. You're not just some omnipotent, supernatural, divine being who wants to cut us down anytime we do wrong. You're a loving father who sent his only son to die for us that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God, I just pray that they would remember that and they would turn to you and turn to your word for comfort and for peace. And I pray that you would comfort them tonight. You would wrap your arms around them and that you would just say, oh, ye of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? And that they would just seek to follow you. And as you bring them through the storm, God, that they would just set up a pile of stones to remember in the future of what you did for them, but also to share with the world as a testimony of your goodness and your power and your faithfulness. We love you, Lord, and I pray that in this last song tonight that you be glorified as we sing. And it's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.